0: Is everybody in? Is everybody in? The show is about to begin. Welcome to the podcast, conscience that made us. Interviews and stories, tales from the bus. We love taking you back to when it all went down. The greatest live shows and the
1: cheering crowd sound. It's concerts, concerts that made us, concerts
0: that made us. Dot com.
1: All right, this is Diego the Shredite Vargas, and you're listening to the concerts that made us.
0: go to Shredite Vargas. You're very welcome to Concerts That Made Us. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. It's great to have you now. I'm looking forward to diving into your music. So back in October, you released your debut single, Dead by Dawn. Holy crap, man. We'll get to the music video in a minute, but tell us all about the song.
1: Oh, well, I'm I'm going to take the holy crap as a compliment. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So that was, yeah, my first debut single of me kind of just going for it and just doing the whole metal guitar thing um yeah it's very much inspired by my love for horror movies and metal more specifically the evil dead my all-time favorite movies of all time like legit this song i went to go see the new evil dead that just came out then i came home and i wrote the song so a big part of it is like i don't know spooky horror metal It's, it's just a good time
0: you know, as an instrumental artist, how do you approach the whole creation process? I'd imagine it's a lot harder than, say, sitting down to write lyrics and put them to music.
1: Oh yeah, it's 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 a very different experience, but it's an experience I realized other guitar players share. Like I've been with other bands where it's very much like you know intro verse chorus. Here are the lyrics. Here's the chord progression. Let's rock it up. But for this one, it was very much like I had an idea and I I. I guess the way I approached it is I started it basically from start to finish. I don't like, you know, I've worked with bands where okay, they start with the chorus and then they go back to the verse or they start with the verse, then chorus intro, whatever. But for me, I literally started with the intro and then made it all the way to the end. And it was kind of freeing because in the past with working with a band, you kind of got to make sure that you're not stepping on the singer's toes or anything like that. But here it's kind of like, you know what, if I wanna go just a little bit riff salad or if I want to go just a little bit too fast, I can.
0: Gotcha, I gotcha. You. And you know, the video. Let's get down to it. Oh, I hope you're entering in some music or some video festivals or film festivals, are you? Because it really blows you away when you're watching it.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was, it, it, was it was a lot of fun to make. It was yeah, no, it was, it, was, it was a good time. I guess the inspiration for it again was The Evil Dead. I'm a huge nerd for those movies, and like I'm not sure if you've seen them or if you know them. Um, but like that first movie was made on a shoestring budget. By a couple of college dropouts who just made the most out of what they had. And so I really wanted to kind of capture that in this video, where pretty much it was just me, my girlfriend, and my parents uh, helping me out. I rented an Airbnb, a cabin in the woods here in Tennessee uh, for a night. And I kind of just like, I was like, okay, if I can swear, i just fuck it. Let's do it. And I really wanted to make a love letter to horror movies and all that. So like, you know, in the video, it starts out with me talking to the camera. It's very VHS, kind of 80s look. And then, you know, there's clips that are more so like 70s grainy film, more so like the house horror stuff. And then it cuts to straight up like black and white, like Nosferatu, Dracula, very vintage horror. And then the more modern, sleek, very stylized, super, you know, bars across the screen uh, horror. And so it was just fun jumping around and getting to experiment with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's amazing that you said it was a shoestring budget, but like it looks like a major production. Like you're not sitting there going, "Okay, this is very amateur." You know, it looks ultra professional and really well done. How did you in post production? How did you make it look like that?
1: So I th- I think a lot of it was more so the pre production stuff, where uh, thankfully, like you know, I do a lot of video stuff. Like with past bands, I've done music videos with them. Um, my dad also does like you know, photography and that kind of stuff. So when it comes to lighting and that, it's like we were just like talking a language back and forth. Um, a lot of it was lighting, other kind of lens. Uh, we have, I'm not sure if I have a bottle of it around here. This stuff is magic. It's basically just like an aerosol spray that like you spray like in front of the lights. So when it looks all smoky and like the light's shining through, it's pretty much just this. Um, it's great. It's like, I don't know how much far I can, but it makes you look like you know what you're doing. Um, <laughs> But a lot of it, I guess, in post-production was more so, I guess, just getting it to look like how actual film would look without being too tacky or too artificial. So, you know, it the, the lines between, like, that 70s kind of grainy versus that 50s very short ratio, that kind of thing, trying to balance all of that out, not being too jarring, but still kind of getting off that visual look. Yeah, no, it... I think I spent a solid, like, 13-hour day just editing that video.
0: <laughs> I'd say so, at least, at least. Where does the love for theatrics come from, you know? Because it's one thing you notice about you straight away. You are more kind of towards Alice Cooper-style theatrical music than, say, you know, someone who's not.
1: well, uh, thank you. I love that that's getting across. Um, where does it come from? I don't know. I feel like I always just liked very bombastic theatrical whatever whether it be like music or movies or whatever like growing up I loved Queen I still love Queen Uh, I saw them recently at Bridgestone with my girlfriend and you know they're very big on the theatrics like in um yeah no Queen's a big influence um I never got super into Broadway stuff but I did kind of like some theater stuff with how big and grandiose it is uh yeah obviously Alice Cooper a huge fan Nita Strauss uh we toured with her for a little bit that was a blast uh, most recently, Ice Nine Kills with their whole stage antics of like murdering people on stage and all that. I just, I like either go big or go home. Like, why even bother doing it if you're not going to go all out?
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. And, you know, up until recently, you, as you mentioned, you toured with Nita Strauss and everything. You were a part of the Abby K band. Tell us about that and what led to your decision to leave.
1: So... That I, I first joined the band, but back January or March 2021, like post-COVID, we started off, like we were friends on Instagram for a while, but she was doing like, uh you know, during COVID when everyone was inside, she was doing like some like Zoom meeting things, whatever, and that's where we kind of became friends, and then became, hey, let's do a collab, and I'm like, oh, let's do a song, that's how you play on guitar, and then before I knew it, I was in the band, like we joked that I never actually said yes to be in the band. It kind of just happened by accident. Um, but yeah, I was in the band for, what, okay, Mark, about a year and a half, two years. Uh, did a lot of touring, put out some music. Um, and you know, it was, a great, it was a great time. It was a great learning experience. I learned so much in that time because I went from staying at home, not really doing anything to actually doing the damn thing, going on the road, recording music touring that kind of thing and yeah i know touring with nita was a dream come true it was an absolute blast i've been a fan of her since i was a kid so being able to like tour with her uh, it was it was definitely stressful but it was a lot of fun
0: that's uh, so i have to ask what do you learn when you're playing on that level um ooh,
1: you learn a lot really really fast uh <laughs> so i would say one of the big things i learned is just to be as efficient as possible, not even so much on stage, but off stage. Like I basically, like I had a whole setup where it's like, okay, my gear was in a rack unit and I had like a pedal and like four cables running around. But as the tour started coming up, it's like, okay, well, everyone is such, a, is such a high caliber when it comes to knowing what they're doing. I want to be the last thing on their mind. I don't want to be the guy that's like, oh, great, here he comes, take, you know, take it forever. So I really streamlined my rigs, like one guitar and my camper on a pedal board. So I could just throw it on stage, one cable, and I'm good to go. Um, And just, and just, just deliver it every night because it's one thing that, yeah, we're performing, but also like we're the opener. We're kind of building up the energy for the headliner. So it's kind of like, okay, well, you know, deliver every night so they can get hyped for Nita for the headliner.
0: It's a good way to look at it, all right. And I suppose at this stage, we'll dive into your early musical history to give the listeners a sense of where you come from. So if you can now, can you remember your earliest musical memory?
1: My earliest musical memory? Ooh. Ooh. Like, I'm sure there's stuff when I was like a baby, my parents would play. But I guess for me, my earliest one was, funny enough, the farthest thing from rock, Michael Jackson.
0: Right, right. Not too (laughs) bad. uh,
1: he like he had just passed away, and everyone was talking about him. I think I was like eight at the time. I was I was real young before I even decided to play guitar or anything. And I looked him up, and I was like, "Oh, this is really cool. I like music." Um, but I think the first one to get me into guitar was I love telling this one. I saw Slash on the show Phineas and Ferb, right? <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, that's really cool." And then I found them on YouTube. I saw the Welcome to the Jungle music video, and I was like, "That, that's what I want to do. I want to do that."
0: Oh, brilliant, brilliant. And, you know, growing up, you're based in Nashville. So growing up, what was your local music scene like and how does it compare to today?
1: Ooh, well, since I'm, I'm currently based in Nashville now, but I grew up in Southern California. So I feel like it's a very different musical scene growing up over there versus over here, because I grew up probably like either half an hour or two hours to L.A., depending on traffic, because it's bad. Um, but like, yeah, I grew up, very close to like that like fabled sunset, you know, rock history right there. Like I think literally my my second show ever with a band was at the Whiskey. So I played I played a bowling alley and then I played the Whiskey like the following week and I was like how the hell did this happen? Um but it's very interesting being like in that circle. You definitely got a lot of It's not I feel like what people expect LA to be isn't what it used to be anymore, but there's still a lot of that history and still a lot of that energy there. And, but now being out here, it's, it's a very different energy, but I like it because in California, it felt very much like, yeah, there's communities, but everyone's so involved in what they're doing. Like everyone's very much like I'm in it for myself. Here, it feels much more collaborative. There's a lot, there's much more community that's willing to hop out and help or be a part of things or, you know, yeah, just collaborate. And it's been a really nice, fun environment to be in.
0: One thing that strikes me is, you know, Nashville is known around the world as the country music capital and LA is more rock versus metal. So in Nashville, what's it like for rock and metal?
1: So I love hearing that because I love being able to say it's a lot of country, but it's not only country. Um, like there is like a really like a growing rock metal scene. And as much as I hate to say it, there are a lot of metalheads that are country out here and a lot of country heads that are also metalheads. Like uh, there's a band out here called, I think it's Cody Parks and the Dirty South, where they're literally a country metal band, where they did a song mixing like Cowboys from Hell with like a country classic. And like people in mind, there's a lot of crossover here with people that love country and metal. But also I think there really is a big rock community out here. And the thing I feel like it's like a, like a like a very well known industry secret I've heard is that all the country guys they go to L.A. to record. All the rock guys either live here or they record here. Like when you think of most stuff, like you know the the upcoming McMars Mars album that was recorded here uh, by a buddy of mine, uh, you know Hailstorm, a lot, you know Nita Strauss and stuff. Like a lot of rock stuff is done here. So there is a big big
0: community for it. Strange, isn't it that although it's not known for it,
1: yeah. I mean, like it was bound to happen. Tennessee has like Tennessee, Kentucky, best whiskey in the world. It, it was bound to happen.
0: <laughs> Very true. That's the reason. So they all go there. It's not that they have state-of-the-art recording studios around. And it's the whiskey. <laughs> it, 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 it's the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! And you know, as a concert goer, then what concerts would you say have made you? Ooh, concerts that have made me.
1: I feel like. I don't know, the way I always approach it is kind of like stepping stones where it's not so much one and then boom, where it's like, no, well, this one caused a change and then this one caused a change. Um, I feel like one of the first like really mind-blowing ones was uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. I saw them, it wasn't their Christmas show, but it was one of their other shows and like all the theatrics and the string players and the guitar players, it was, I was like, ooh, so this is what you can do with like rock music. And then I saw Rush on their second ever last show, like ever uh that was also very much uh oh so this is something you can do with music um i think most recently one that really helped define what i kind of want to do is um i saw the band havoc play here i'm not sure if you know havoc they're a thrash metal band Uh, i think they were recently on tour with in flames um i I, like i camped out for barrier i i my everything was hurting the next day but it was just like so much fun. And it's like, yes, that, that is the energy I want to give on stage every day.
0: <laughs> and, you know, when it comes to concerts, then what makes a good show for you? What do you look to get from a concert?
1: I guess like for me, whenever I go to a concert, I want to know that the band is having fun. Like I hate seeing a band, like unless you're a dream theater where it's like you're playing the most meticulous things and you're killing it. Like jump around, show that you're having fun. Like I hate going to see a band and they just stand there playing their instrument or kind of bobbing around. Like, you know, I'm a huge Pantera fan. Um, Like whenever I see a band, like I want, I hold them to that level of, I guess where I hold Dimebag Daryl, where it's like, well, he was jumping around stage. He's moshing. He's thrashing. He's breaking his guitar and still playing. It's like, I don't know. I want to see that love of the craft in the performance and like, that's something I try to do when I'm on stage is like, hey, jump around, show that, hey, not many people get to do this. I'm getting to do it. Show, I guess, the gratitude and the love for being able to jump around on stage like a doofus.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is there an artist or band then that you kind of look at and say, right, that's what I'm aiming for. That's exactly what I'm going to be like.
1: Energy wise, Pantera. I, I'm a huge Dimebag Daryl fan. Um, And like, yeah, like anytime... I always try to embrace that energy. Like, you know, Diane Magdaro, uh, Nita Strauss, you know, throwing with her. I've, I for sure take, I've seen some of her tricks and taken them for myself. But it's just like that high energy, that high, like, I want to get the audience as, as excited as I am. So, yeah, definitely Diane Daryl, big, big uh, up there.
0: Nice, nice. And, you know, when you tour or play gigs to support your debut release, what will those shows be like?
1: I actually haven't been I, I haven't played them live yet, but that's just something I'm working on currently. So I'm trying to work out the best way I want to go about it because you know I'm having fun with it. I'm doing a lot of production stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I gotta get tracks going. And it's a whole system. But I guess my approach right now is I don't want to overthink it. I don't wanna overload myself before I actually get the product out. Cause like I felt like if I forced, like, okay, I gotta get a band, I gotta get tracks, da 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 da. da, da, da. I'll get so overwhelmed. I won't actually just put out the product. So I'm like, you know what? I just got to, don't overthink it. I'm really good at that. Don't overthink it and just go for it. I'm putting out the music. Um, I'm having backing tracks. Like uh, on a, like uh, I might be playing at a booth at the damn show. So I'm getting tracks for that uh, just so I can play even just for myself. I can play it live. Um, but yeah, I know I, I got some fun stuff cooked up when it comes to that.
0: Nice, nice. And the gigs you've played throughout your career then, when you think about them, is there one that stands out in your mind as the most perfect experience?
1: Ooh, most perfect experience? Oh, I got it. It was uh, the first leg of Nita's uh, Winter Wasteland tour uh, when we played the whiskey. Because we were only on it for like the first half. And then we ended our last show at the whiskey. And so for me, it was kind of a full circle moment where it's like, I played my first or second ever show at the whiskey and then like all these years later it paid off because i'm on tour and i at the time was living in nashville so being able to like suffer california move out there and then come back there because i'm working and it was it was just such a full cool full circle moment and like i had friends and family there and they're kind of like oh, okay so this is what he's talking about this is what he's doing he's not just you know in his room
0: <laughs> and
1: so that that was really 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 nice moment
0: you, you have to tell us what is the whiskey like because you know for rock lovers around the world it is like the holy grail it's like mecca so what is it actually like getting to play there you know backstage everything give it to us
1: smaller than you think <laughs> right <laughs> like everyone thinks like yeah the whiskey is like very historical and like well known but really it's a small little venue it's like on the corner of the street um as much as i love it load in is a nightmare because oh my camera's falling down a bit because load in load in you got to park across the street at an angle so like if you're rolling cases you're like rolling them across the street at an angle and it's a pain it's a pain but just being in there being backstage and like sitting in like in the green room it's like wow how many artists have done drugs off these couches that i'm sitting on right now
0: it's a good point (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> and it's like seeing the history in there it's like wow you know all my favorite heroes have been in this room and now here i am um on the stage i'm like also pretty small too but it's more so the fact that you're standing on that sacred stage
0: yeah yeah i heard once that. Starts- You know, back in the, from the 60s to the early 90s, if you sold out the whiskey, it meant you were made, you know, you nearly automatically got a record deal. But nowadays, when you look at it, like it holds, what, 250, 300 people maximum. And, you know, you need much larger numbers than that to be getting recognition from record deals. It's kind of crazy.
1: Yeah. Like, I I love my California roots and the whiskey and Sunset, but... Like a lot of it's not the same as it used to be. Like like you said, like going to the whiskey, it was pretty much and like you sold it out. It was very much like okay, you're going places, you're making it. You can pull a Van Halen show up and like literally flood the streets of LA because everyone wants to get in. Um, but nowadays, like I see a lot of people go and like I this has been me too, where it's very much like the big bands will come through and they'll kind of get the opening set to be smaller bands or more local bands and it's more so pay to play. So it's not the same like you can put on your resume, I played the whiskey, but in reality you probably opened one of six bands and you paid out of pocket to play it. So it's like it's it's still very cool, but I feel like it doesn't have the same pull as it used to unless you're like headlining on a tour.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. True. And uh we'll flip it around then. All the gigs you've played, if you think about them, is there one that stands out as the worst? Experience you've had, and how did you overcome it?
1: Worst experience. Ooh, I have had plenty of those. Um, okay, where can we go? I remember playing with a uh, a friend's band in high school, where they were all super cool, but they weren't the most professional. And the guitar player slash singer would like full on on stage walk off to change guitars. He would walk off, bring in his guitar case, open it, pull it out change straps, unplug it, plug it back in, tune it. And it's like, I'm like, I'm there. And I'm like, I'm, it's it's dead quiet in the room. The The sound guy puts on like the house music. And I'm like, what am I doing? And they ended up cutting us off. We had like three songs left, but they took so long between songs that they cut us off early. And I was like, great, I, I quit. I'm done with music. <laughs> oh, but but it's definitely one of those like, in the moment it sucks. I hate it, but I take it with a grain of salt and realize, okay, this is a great example. I'm glad I learned of what not to do. I prep myself ahead of time. I figure out when I want to change guitars or anything, and I get it streamlined as possible, which is like why I love my Kemper and the guitars I use, because I can do that. And I can play a whole set with one guitar and however many tunings or whatever I want. I don't have any other horrible uh, show memories. I with another band like in high school we played uh in where was it lake tahoe in the summer so like it's it's night but even then it's still like 100 degrees and my amp overheated so then we had to have a fan put behind the amp and someone in front of the amp just to make sure it doesn't turn off it, it was it sucked. oh that was night one of a three night uh stay for a uh, venue
0: oh man <laughs>
1: yeah it was By a the end of rough. the
0: third night did it blow up no
1: I mean, like it still hasn't worked since and it's been about like five, eight years, so.
0: <laughs> right, right. And you know, when it comes to show time then, what's your pre-show and your post-show ritual? How do you psych yourself up and then how do you wind down?
1: That is a good question. I've been thinking about that. Um, I do a lot of caffeine, respectfully. I do a lot of coffee. Um, I work at a coffee shop when I'm, when I'm not doing uh, music stuff. And uh, I've gotten into the habit, if it's like a really big show where I'm nervous, tie myself up i will shotgun a red bull <laughs>
0: <laughs> right
1: i do it like beginning of a run like if it's like a week-long run i do it at the first one and that's it because that's a lot of caffeine but like i'll do like you know i'll caffeinate uh funny enough i i've been doing this for so long i still get stage fright sometimes like i'll never forget uh we uh, we opened up for with with abby Kay, we opened up for dorothy in knoxville and it was a great show big venue and I'm like walking around behind the backstage. Everyone's looking for me. And I'm just in the corner, like staring at the wall, like, <gasps> like almost like dry heaving.
0: Yeah. Oh, man.
1: And I think it's it's a, it's a psych out thing where it's like I still get nervous. I still get very much in my head. But I think it's almost like a push and pull, tension and release. Because like I'm holding back the entire time, like staring at a wall, freaking out. But then when I get on stage, that energy gets released as in the performance. And it was probably one of my best performances, I would say, because of that anxiety beforehand.
0: Yeah, yeah. I suppose when you when the time comes that you're not getting anxious or nervous about it, that's probably time to worry.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, honestly, yeah, I think that is like, because I'm not worried, I get worried because I'm like, why am I not worried? Am I forgetting
0: something? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And what kind of antics do you get up to when you're on tour? Any wild partying, any t- stories you can tell us?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, like with the last band, I have a K band, not really. It was a very straightforward thing where it's like play the show, go to merch, afterwards drive to the next town. So there isn't anything super, super, super wild with that, which honestly I'm here for. Like, I like having fun. I like, you know, nothing crazy. But I think like when it comes to being on tour and being on the road, I like being very professional where it's like, yeah, I'll mess around and have fun, pranks, whatever. But at the end of the day, I'm there to do a job. I'm not there to just have fun. Like I got to make sure that no matter what I do, it doesn't affect the performance or the show or the tour or any little cog in the music machine. It's a good, uh, good outlook
0: to have. And you know, I have to ask you, this is a question that has been asked for years in the rock world. Eddie Van Halen, Ingve Mamstein, Slash, have all been asked it. How did you get so good at guitar? How many hours a day do you practice? You know?
1: <laughs> um, so when I started playing guitar, um, I was like, what, sixth grade? I was probably like nine years old, and I didn't have any friends. So I just practiced all day. And now at 22, not much has changed. <laughs> <laughs> right oh that's what I always say but I think a big part of it was yeah it's just a lot of practice uh having a good um, guitar teacher as well yeah I'm mean, like this I feel like there's so many factors in the way a guitarist develops as a guitar player but for me it was just I I practiced a lot I had John Petrucci's rock discipline like on my music stand all the time just open uh definitely when I was younger not as much nowadays because when you I feel like the more you do in the music industry it's less playing music more so everything promoting that music but like when i was younger in high school i remember like in the summer i would literally just sit in my garage like just spend like eight hour days practicing like you know practice go eat practice go to the bathroom practice some more and it was it was insane it was psychotic honestly
0: did you sleep with the guitar
1: (laughs) uh no, because I didn't want to turn over and break it. So I just did it.
0: <laughs> right, right. Do you still challenge yourself with guitar nowadays? Or are you at a level where you know you're like, yeah, I can play that just hearing it once? Or um, I still definitely really challenge
1: myself. I definitely have gotten a lot better about playing by ear. I think a lot of that comes from like, you know, like in high school, I was in my jazz bands and whatnot, and I was surrounded by a lot of like much more like jazz fusion funk people so i kind of got an ear for that but also with these band with these shows some with some bands i play a lot of times they'll take requests on songs i've never heard so like they'll be talking to the audience i'll pull up my phone's like shit shit okay how does it sound i kind of got to figure it out by ear um but when it comes to like technique and that kind of stuff i'm not gonna lie i have settled a bit and like not challenging myself and i'm disappointed that i've settled so i've been really working on like within like this next month or two, I'm going to really challenge myself to get back and work on the stuff that I've been settling with, but I'm not happy with. So like sweet picking, it's on my, on my strong suit. I'm going to really challenge myself because the second I stop challenging myself, I get boring. The second I st- I think that I'm good. That's when my, my art gets boring because I feel like the root of that of art is conflict. So it's like, bring it
0: on. Yeah. True, true. I have to ask, what advice would you give to any, you know, 11, 12-year-olds who are just picking up the guitar for the first time? I know Christmas is coming up. Maybe some people will get guitars for Christmas. So first thing you're going to want
1: to do is quit. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, I would say, I feel like something I always try to say is listen to as much music as you play. Because music is a language. Western music is a language. So like any other language, like, yeah, you can say the words, but without the context, what does it mean? And I think by listening to a ton of music and applying it to guitar, you'll start getting to the point where it's like, oh, I recognize that lick. That was the lick, you know, Yngwie played in that one song, or that lick is this thing from whatever. You can start connecting the dots and it becomes less I'm playing a pattern and more so I'm making music because it's, it's, in, it's in, it feels more organic than just, okay, plant, pentatonic pattern.
0: Good, good. And with your career, what's the biggest challenge you've faced, and how did you overcome it? um
1: Biggest challenge: self doubt. How do I overcome it? In in, in works, it's in the it's in the works.
0: <laughs> right, right. I get you. I get you.
1: I think it's one of those things that like you never fully get over. It. You just actively work on it every day, like a muscle. It's never like one day, like oh, I love myself. Everything is great. <laughs> but it's like you know working at it knowing that the music i love the music more than i have doubts about myself so it's like i kind of that kind of pushes me but besides that everything is perfect <laughs> good to hear
0: <laughs> <laughs> and before we dive into the last couple of questions then future plans can we when can we expect new music new music videos gigs
1: Ooh, so, like, like we talked about earlier, recently I've been moving, so a lot of things are kind of a, at a standstill. But I'm more settled in, starting to work on more plans. As of right now, uh, the only thing I know for sure is a new song coming in January. When? I don't know yet. I'm still tracking it. But January, I really want to get uh, my next song out. I'm calling it's going to be called "Down with the Ship."
0: Where does the inspiration come from? Is it Titanic based?
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not a bad idea, uh, but no, I, I think it came from, I started writing it like what, last January, it was a demo, but now I'm starting to work on it. I think it comes from a place of, I guess, feeling helpless, feeling kind of like isolated where it's like, I guess my idea was more so like down with the ship as in like the captain's abandoned ship, everyone's dipped and I've been, you know, just thrown on it's like by yourselves. Like, okay. Have fun drowning. Uh, so it's, it comes from it comes from a very I guess not dark place, oh yeah I came from a dark place. But now that I'm approaching it now in a better place, there's more of a story to it where it's like the song has moments where it's like here's the situation, here's why I feel like I'm drowning. Oh fuck, oh fuck, I'm drowning. But by the end, it's kind of like okay, well I'm not. I have people that love and support me, and will push me to be better. And then at the end, it's just big metal breakdown trauma. It's great
0: oh cool i can't wait the hear lots to look forward to and i suppose no set dates or no plans for gigs in the in 2024 yet is there
1: yeah as of right now it's not yet um yeah with the holidays and the moving it's kind of put things at a standstill so i'm just itching like i gotta make some plans i gotta do some stuff <laughs> so I, I definitely i definitely it's more so a brainstorming phase and i'm hoping that once the new new year hits i just i hit the ground running i just i'm really excited
0: right fingers crossed for it so and we'll dive into the last couple of questions so we'll start off easy when you're not doing music what do you do what do you enjoy doing
1: um hmm coffee
0: (laughs) good answer that's something
1: i've been thinking that's something i've been thinking a lot about where i feel like people that only like music's their only thing ever it's like yeah it's cool but also it's like you're going to burn yourself out. It gets kind of boring. So I was like, I have been trying to figure out what else in my life do I get joy out of? And it's like, yeah, I, I love, like I've been a big coffee nerd. Like I have to pour over. I grind my own beans, all that. Um, I've been trying to get much more into movies. Uh, my girlfriend and I have been doing a lot of like just movie marathons, watching horror movies, that kind of stuff. Um, I'd love to get back into the gym. That's what I want to do. But for now, coffee.
0: <laughs> right i have to say you're the first person on the podcast who has said coffee is a hobby <laughs> i like it
1: yeah it, it's such a nerdy niche hobby but i've been getting into it
0: cool cool and uh if you could see any performer from history in concert for one night only who would it be
1: Who? i have two ideas uh pantera at the monsters in moscow show in i think 90 was 91 or, so,
0: yeah.
1: or or uh Metallica Seattle 1989. Right. Like that show, where they just, they just sped everything up and made it even faster and even heavier. Either one of those, I would, I would cry on the spot in the mosh pit, of
0: course. <laughs> Pretty epic. And if you had to spend 24 hours locked in a room with any musician from history, who would it be?
1: Ooh. Honestly, it'd be a current musician, Dan Sugarman of uh, Ice Nine Kills, Right. right. I haven't followed. What's it? Say again?
0: I was just going to say, what would you hope to learn from him?
1: Um, Not only like his musical chops, because he's a beast on the guitar, because a very unique way of approaching it, but also just like his lifestyle approach. Because he's been posting a lot of stuff recently about like his daily routines, his rituals, but also his approach to music. And I love that he literally approaches it as okay, what is everyone else doing? Cool. What can I do to? do the exact opposite of that and actually make a statement but also like his meditation his uh philosophy that kind of stuff it's like I'm enamored by it it's like I want to learn like I've been doing cold showers I've been like breathing meditations all that kind of stuff so I'm like just teach me everything
0: (laughs) I've seen on your Instagram actually there was something you were doing you're putting your hands into ice water
1: yeah uh so it's part of uh uh yeah I got it from him uh, Wim Hof, he's like, you know, the, he's called the Ice Man because a big part of it's like improving the body through ice exposure. And so I've been doing cold showers, but a big thing is also like just dipping your hands in ice cold water and seeing how long you can hold it there. I got like 30 seconds and it was hurting. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm done, I'm done. But the goal cool is to get it to like a minute or so, and yeah, it, it's it's rough, but it works because like I've been doing the cold showers. And at first I hated it, but over time it started to feel more natural and I actually feel like energized getting out of the shower. So I'm like, it's working, it's working. I just got to keep at
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I wouldn't fancy it first thing in the morning, but you're right. I've had cold showers in the past by accident, not on purpose. But You're right. You do kind of feel more energized, more awake when you get out of it. Yeah. And the final one, so. What song would appear on the soundtrack to your life?
1: Ooh. Uh, oh, man. Ooh. There's a lot of songs going through my head right now. You know what kind of cliche? We Are the Champions
0: by Queen. Right, right. What is it about that song that uh, speaks to
1: you? Um, well, Queen is just a band that I love with all my heart. Um, I think the song is a bit overrated I think people play it all the time so it's kind of like all over the place but also it's like you know I hope at the end of my life if that song plays it meant that no matter what happened what things in life hit me I always came out on top the best I could
0: nice I like it I like it listen Diego it's been a pleasure and I've really enjoyed chatting with you thank you it's been great talking to you too The show is over. It's over. You can go home. Go on. We'll see you next time. We'll be here. Bye.